Welcome to Big Mama Hex Podcast. Candace and I have known each other for a few years now. I was trying to re- uh, trace back when we first made contact. I think it might have been 2016 when I was doing studying for my MFA at Cookstown, and I was in a typography class, and I wanted to get into the Schwenkflatter collection of Proctor pieces, especially the Vorschrift. Am I saying that right? Uh, Vorschrift. Vorschrift. Yeah. I knew I was. That's okay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> me the butcher of all Pennsylvania Dutch words ever um and she was so so kind and so generous and opened the doors and let me come in and work with her in her um office and look at some of the arch- archived work and it was just an incredible body of work that you have here at the Schwenkfelder um and I just wanted to start off our interview with learning more about you and we're going to talk a little bit about what you do at the Schwenkflutter, but I'm, I'm really interested in if you'd like to share anything about your early life and um, your sort of expertise in textiles, or maybe there's a different word for that, um, that you would consider your expertise. And when did that start? Does it go back to your early days? Um, well, no. no. <laughs> I, I don't think. Um, I am, I am originally from Robinsonia in Western Berks County, and I went to school at Conrad Weiser, and um, my, my father's family was 100% Pennsylvania German from the time of immigration until he married my mother, <laughs> who was from Bronxville, New York. Um, and was an incredibly creative person, and her sister also was very creative. So I think I had some interest in creative fields because of that. But then also because of my Pennsylvania German family, who I adore, whom I adored, I, I think that that introduced me to Pennsylvania German culture, even though they were not typical Pennsylvania German farm people of the period by the early 20th century my aunts and my my father's mother had all been to um, college to become teachers so they were sort of more progressive even though they still lived on the family farm smack dab in the middle of Robizonia um, <laughs> they um, they no I don't um, they uh, still were more interested in more modern ways of life. And for example, my grandmother, um, Irene Kalbach Kinzer, would not allow Pennsylvania Dutch to be spoken within the In my house. family, it wasn't like assumed that you'd necessarily just get married and stay at home. You would, even, even um, my aunt, who was the librarian at Conrad Weiser forever and ever and ever, um, she um, uh, went to college, you know, right away, and yeah. So, so it was a different kind of family, even though. And um, if, if you're, you're in, in Robinson, if anybody's in Robinson, you know, my family home is the house right, right next to the post office, office in Robinson. And the uh, post office was on land that my family owned, and everything behind that that, that Penn Avenue property was my family's farm that is now Oh, wow. I had no idea. My aunt's over there, um, right behind the uh, Blue Marsh Lake. Oh, okay. Yeah. She has a little farm out there. Um, but yeah, I don't know Robozonia that much, but that's incredible. I have to... <laughs> it's a thrilling place. <laughs> yes. All the fun is happening in Robozonia. <laughs> so, Candace, um, from Robozonia, I'm just wondering, 
So your childhood, I know you, well, you and I have talked a lot about textiles because I was really focused on that for my design, um, for my design work for my MFA program. Um, and I remember you talking about your mother at the sewing machine. Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah. And, and having a lot of um, experience with some of these textiles that I was sort of trying to figure out and well, solve the mysteries about. Well, what, what, this, this is, is sort of weird, weird. but my, my, mother, my mother had this skirt and I don't know if, if my sisters would hear this. I don't know if they'll remember this skirt, but she had this skirt that she probably made. It was a wrap skirt. And so she probably had it in the early, late sixties, early seventies, but it was made from this fabric that always looked like sort of a Pennsylvania Dutch design. It was a all, olive color, but it had like a circle design on it that sort of reminded me of a hex sign or something like that. So, um, but my mother was loved to sew and, and learned a lot about sewing. She learned, she learned tailoring. She even learned millinery. Um, so I think that textiles as a, were always a part of my life. And though I learned to do all those things, I learned how to sew, I learned how to stitch. I learned how to do all those things when I was a kid, whether at home, through Campfire Girls, through Home Ec, through 4-H, I just stank at it. I was terrible. So, <laughs> so even though I did make myself, myself some clothes and made some various um, cross-stitch projects and things when I was young, I feel like I um, became more of an appreciator. And when I was able to work with a collection here, specifically at the Schwenkfeld, that was really splendid, that was so, well, well um, uh, uh, so, so, so um, needlework and other kinds of textiles were so represented in this collection, it sort of sparked my interest again in textiles. I probably prior to that, I was more of a generalist because my background in museums is um, history museums, but I spent four years at the Kentucky Derby Museum as curator. So that involved a whole other set of artifacts that, the only, the only textiles, textiles were probably, probably saddle, saddle blankets. blankets. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because I was going to ask you about that. That's so fascinating. Um, one of the people on my list who's actually, and this is someone that you right away knew how in, in extraordinary this was, this interaction, is Carson Cressley has agreed to be on my <laughs> podcast. And Candace, Candace and I have a lot in common in um, our interest in pop culture and our pop culture references. And he's someone that when I saw him at the Folk Fest come through my booth and I was like, oh my gosh, nobody here is going to know what I'm talking about. I knew Candace would understand right away. And she was very excited for me. Um, I have loved Carson Cressley for a long time and had no idea that he was such a deitcher. But um, yeah, uh, really interesting. Um, he loves the horses. So. Yes, he does indeed. He, he does. does. I, I think, think he was, was more of a... Of a Show, show horse style, style but he probably yes. races too because if you love horses you pretty much love horses yeah i'm pretty sure yeah i was stalking his instagram and he was at kentucky derby yeah. <laughs> so. well, and probably for the clothes too yeah probably yeah very very much he's he's such a neat guy though and it's it's interesting because i think um once i got to know you like we have a lot more in common just aside from the Pennsylvania Dutch stuff and um, the fact that I'm obsessed with the Schwenkfelder and the collection is just incredible and I could literally stay here for years and just, <laughs> you know, m mouse my way through it all. But um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind just talking more, a little bit more about the Schwenkfelder and about how you ended up here and, and something 
that you think that people um, should know about the showing photo that may not actually know it? I know my audience um, sometimes doesn't know exactly what I'm talking about when I say, oh, have you been to the Schweinfelder in Pennsburg? Um, a lot of my audience is pulling from Kutztown and Reading when we're vending, when we're vending um, in Lancaster areas. Uh, so I'm trying to get them to come over here because it's just an incredible body of work and they're going under some really fascinating and wonderful renovations. So if you could just speak a little bit about how you ended up at the Schweinfelder and the work that you do here because the collections are curated so beautifully and eloquently and I just love the way they're designed. It sort of reminds me of the way um, the Barnes collection is kind of paired oh. together, yeah. <laughs> which I really enjoy that um, because I like to be able to draw the threads through the whole line. So yeah. um, I like the way that you guys laid out here. So laid on us. <laughs> well, I, I came here because I was looking for a position in a museum of that was uh, uh, interpreting Pennsylvania German culture in some way, but I really wanted to come back home and work within the culture. That was my goal. So I was in Kentucky and this job popped up. And even though I have to admit, I did not know what a Schwankfelder was. Remember I was from Rabazonia and I don't think I ventured much into Montgomery County except maybe to Norristown, something like that. Um, but um, did not know about this part of the world at all. And so came for an interview and was very, very fortunate to be hired by our former executive director, Dave Luz. And I've been here since 1998. So obviously there's something I like about it. It is um, truly a, a wonderful place with a great group of people. Um, uh, but the Schweinfelder Library and Heritage Center, as, as you mentioned, were located in Pennsburg and Montgomery County which, which makes, makes us, us about, about uh, 20 minutes to a half an hour north of Boyertown and about a half an hour south of Allentown. Um, so a pretty easy drive from the Reading area that's about an hour from uh, Lancaster County, about 90 minutes or less. Um, but uh, we've been in existence in one form or another since the late 19th century. When, when the Schweinfelder descendants uh, at that time, time these are descendants from the Schweinfelder immigrants who came here in the 1730s to escape prosecution, persecution in their homes in Lower Silesia and then subsequently also in Saxony, were given refuge by Count. Zinzendorf, the, the spiritual, spiritual leader of the Moravians. Okay, so um, the, the Schweinfelder descendants are all of these people who descended from the original immigrants um, who came here in the 1730s, of which there was only really a small group. There was hardly more than 200 of these people. Um, and they came here and found uh, freedom and tolerance here in the colony of Pennsylvania, as did many other uh, Pennsylvania German religious groups. Um, but uh, so the descendants really are the engine that keep us going. Um, they are very interested and always have been in their heritage, even as the church gets smaller as the years go by. There are now three surviving Schwenkfelder churches um, that you, uh, we would encourage you to visit. One here in Palm in Montgomery County in Upper Hanover Township, one in outside Norristown called Olivet, 
and one outside of Lansdale called um, Central Schwangfelder. Um, but still, the, the descendants of the Schwangfelders, who aren't necessarily all members of the church, are very, very interested in the preservation of their heritage. So even though we have a small group, really, comparatively to the Mennonites or even the Amish or the Brethren or the Moravians, we have this very, very strong sense of preservation of the heritage of this group of people. It's, it's actually rather shocking and extraordinary. It really is. Um, the, um, um, I'm sorry, let me see, where was I going? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you were talking about how you ended up here and then also about the renovations, but I also, I also agree that um, the presence here of the descendants, it's really wonderful and just interacting with people having spent a lot of time here. And I'll find people out in the wild where I, I know them through like very random things a lot. A lot of times it'll be super random and, and I'll mention the Schwankfelder and they'll say, oh yeah, we're very familiar with that. And I'm a descendant of the Schwankfelder. In fact, I just met or, or put together, um, she's been a contact of mine. Her daughter attended a workshop, one of the Schultz family members. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And she's a homeschool mom. So they spend time here because you all have a wonderful homeschool. Yes. Um, I don't know if you would call it program, but you know, very, very open to homeschool families and um, have really taken a lead with that, I think, of all the different centers that we've experienced. Um, the education here is really nice. You have an education director, Alyssa, right now, and she does a wonderful job. And um, some of the events that we've really enjoyed, like the Grunsel Lodge for Yuge. <laughs> here I go. But yeah, I'm, I just, I love the Schwankfelder so much, and I think you do a really nice job. And you can tell that there's a love for the, the work that you do. And it's not just um, a position for you, but that you really have a great, every time I ask Candace something, she speaks about it in such an eloquent way that has to do with the collection, especially. Um, and it's just really nice to listen to you talk about some of this oh. stuff. <laughs> I think, um, you know, since we were collecting for such a long period of time, as I mentioned, since the late 19th century, um, and we were not a very, um, we did not do a lot of reaching out to the community. And I think this is one of the problems that surrounds us today is that people still do not have an awareness of what we have here, or they think there's nothing here for them. Um, uh, because, because they, they were introspective for, for so long, long you know, right. up until the late 1990s, really. Um, this, this institution was here to preserve. That's what they were doing. They were preserving lots of props or lots of other objects um, that the Schweinfeller descendants and other groups, were not just here for the descendants, but really for the, the, the Pennsylvania Germans of this area. Uh, uh, we, we really refer, refer to it as the Perkiomen region, which is where the Perkiomen flows. That's yes. where the Schweinfelder settled. That's the people that we preserve and interpret. Um, and German, generally yeah. German. Um, but um, because of that, we have these really tremendous collections. Uh, the Frochter in particular, uh, because it came from directly from the families, this is what sets it apart. It was not a collection organized um, by a collector. Say, for instance, um, the Philadelphia Free Libraries collection uh, came from um, uh, Henry Borneman 
or um, Mr. DuPont collecting for Winter Tour or the different collectors who contributed to the Philadelphia Museum of Art or Mr. Barnes or, or what have you. Ours came directly from the families and early on. And that made a very big difference in the kind of Frockter we have. We do not have everything that people consider masterpieces. That is definitely not what we own. We own the kind of Frockter that was given to school children um, to help them learn. Uh, we have mostly Frockter dedicated towards education in some way because the Schwenkfelders, like the Mennonites, did not um, uh, practice infant baptism. Even though the Schwenkfelders are not Anabaptists, they just simply did not practice that ritual. Um, so uh, we, most of our Frockter comes from the schoolmasters, uh, which sets us apart also. And um, I, I, especially, especially as, as, as you know, know Rachel, I'm very interested in calligraphy, and I think yes. we have some, some of the most spectacular, spectacular um, representations of the calligraphic, calligraphic arts in Frock Tour um, around, and, and a lot of it, too, too and, and early. So yeah. um, that's, that's, that's what I really enjoy. And, and in, in terms, terms of our textile collection, I was very interested in building that as the years went by here and I became more and more involved with um, what kinds of things that the Schwenkfelder women made. Um, and so in particular, I was very interested in building up the needlework collection. And I think we've really uh, gotten a spectacular collection now uh, through donations and we've been able to purchase some things, but a very concentrated effort to show how this kind of sampler making tradition ran in families among Schwenkfelders um, here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's really incredible. I love um, the samplers as well because my family's very um, needlework and textile based as well. And there's a lot of old remnants of um, practice work, especially my grandmother just passed and we have a lot of her old embroidery practice work. Oh, that's fun. It's really neat. And I, I'm glad you brought up the fact that a lot of the work that you have here or a majority of it, I guess, would be donated from family members of the Schmeichfelders. I think that gives the collection and the space a very different energy than, as you said, um, maybe DuPont or Barnes. Um, there's a warmth, and it sounds silly because it's still a building, but I'm really excited to get into the new building, the barn that you guys are um, gonna be opening soon, because there is a warmth here. It feels when you walk through the collection, especially the permanent collection, um, you really feel a sense, I, I just like the way it's designed. You get a really nice sense of what the people were like, and, and there feels like um, an energy in the in the pieces that you have so i i'm glad that you brought that up because i think that um does just travel through and maybe is a little different than if if it was bought at auction or bought by someone who didn't wasn't familiar with the person that had originally owned it you know because there's that well, no, <sighs> no I, yeah I, yeah and, and i um Personally, I have come to know some of these people so well, these families, um, and they mean a lot to me. And they're, the, the things they left behind mean a lot to me. Um, and just trying to discover who they were through the things they left behind. And if we're lucky, through writings they left behind also. 
Um, so, so that, that to me is, is, is very special. special. Um, and what well, has always said the Schwenkfelder Library and Heritage Center, but specifically the Schwenkfelder Library apart, is that we were very spiritually oriented and intellectually oriented for much of our history. So not so much in terms of folk culture, material culture, or decorative arts. That wasn't really something um, the uh, leadership was always interested in until maybe the 1970s, 1980s. It, it seems that it, the leadership was not always as interested in the, the material culture or decorative arts or um, folk culture, even though it was still very strongly a part of who the Schweinfelders were. Uh, they, they just, just had, had a different, different focus. focus. Um, the Schweinfelders were always a highly literate people. Um, uh, so it, it made a difference in who they were as, as opposed, opposed to maybe the other Pennsylvania Germans, Germans who lived in the neighborhood, in the community. They were a little, a little bit different. Um, and, and I think that has, in, the, in retrospect, perhaps made us have a different kind of reputation than other organizations like, say, Lewis Valley Farm Museum or the Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center at Cookstown or any of the other um, Pennsylvania German-oriented organizations. Right, I can understand that. Um, but I think one thing that, that has helped to um, bridge that gap might be the education programming, which I know has, um, as long as I've been involved here, which is going on about five years, I guess, it's really been a wonderful experience for my kids to connect in that way. It's very different from other, other places that we'll go. Um, it's more focused, I think. And um, I really like the work that um, Alyssa's done. And also, oh my glory, who was the woman right before Alyssa? Maggie. Maggie, yeah. Maggie did a wonderful job too. And I just remember, um, I thought the Grunsell Lodge was so, such a great idea and especially seeing uh, the older folks really get excited to be passing this information along to the decanter. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So I want to applaud you guys. You've done a great job with that. And um, I got to know Dave a little bit before he left. And I've done a lot of work here with Candace and with the Heritage Center and really enjoyed the work that we've done together and collaborating. Which brings me to my next question is about the new facilities oh, yeah. and the barn and how exciting is this? And, and unfortunately during COVID, but I think you'll be able to have a great opening, right? You'll be able to well, sort of have an opening or a soft kind of opening. A slow gradual <laughs> A soft rollout. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, very. Um, so by the end of September, we're going to start bringing in some of our supporters, and we're going to start with different levels of supporters, um, so they get to see it first, even though a lot of them have already seen a lot of it. Um, their families haven't, so, so certainly they'll be uh, the first people who are coming through. But um, probably somewhere maybe by November or December, we'll be able to let the general public in. I'm, I'm hoping. I may be speaking out of turn, so I'm not sure. But that, that's my hope. Is that, that's the hope, uh, yeah. Especially by December. But what we've done is we put on an addition um, with two new galleries. One is um, called the Rural Life Gallery, and that is uh, visible storage. 
Um, visible storage is a concept in museums where you're getting out a lot of the objects that have been in storage for so long and just having everything there for the public to see. It's funny, when I started in the museum field, this was kind of something one did not do, but now right. I sort of see the beauty of it and I, um, I, I really want people to see these things. Some of the things have never been out of out of storage. So, so that is what um, the visible storage concept is. And the rural life, it will show all the activities that were done on the farm, maybe other kinds of crafts and trades that um, individuals did while also having farms. Um, and so that's the ground floor. And the first floor, which is our upper floor, um, will ha have the rural entrepreneurship gallery. That's a lot of words. But that will show all the kinds of different um, rural commerce and, and industry, industry that, that either farmers were able to start or other people who came here, say, like the iron masters who came and put down roots here, the kind of industries they were able to start um, using the natural resources and their own native ingenuity, basically. So that covers a lot of things from the iron industry to milling, to um, the making of farm machinery, uh, the ice harvesting industry. And so that is our first floor, rural entrepreneurship. And then we have a connector that we have connect constructed from the building to a barn that we brought onto our property. Um, the barn actually comes from Talmensen Township, which is in central Montgomery County and was owned by the Schwenkfelder Seipt family. So anyway, so the barn was brought from Talmensen Township um, in central Montgomery County. Um, and, um, uh, and, and we have reconstructed it here on our property. Uh, so it, people can see how a 19th century barn was built and how it functioned. Now, a lot of things we had to add back in, but we were able to add in some period features from other old barns. Um, the company that did the reconstruction is a company from Lancaster County called Quarry View. And we think they just did a tremendous job. The barn is a precious gem, I'll tell you. It, it just has a feeling when you go in it. Um, if uh, we felt it was really, really necessary to preserve a barn to the best of our ability because there's not a lot surviving now. And who knows, into as we get further into the 21st century, how many people are actually going to want to preserve the bar their barns. It's an expensive undertaking. So we have one that everyone will be able to see and understand how a barn functions. Yeah, that's so incredible. I've seen it from the outside and it's just beautiful. I mean, absolutely. They did a wonderful job. And this is where having skilled craftspeople who know what barns do is so incredibly important. And I think you guys have done a wonderful job just making sure um, you preserve that, yes. that historic aspect. Yeah. And they, they were of Amish descent, nice. um, not practicing Amish any longer, but of Amish descent. So they had a really special knowledge of barns. And then we were very fortunate, before the barn was taken down from its original location, uh, Patrick Donmoyer from the Pennsylvania German Cultural Center 
uh, was able to do a survey. So he provided us with some technical information that we can then uh, use for our educational materials. So people will understand what they're looking at when they are inside the barn. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, Patrick knows his stuff about barns, that's for sure. The barn guy, yes. Yeah, he sure is. He's, he's a wonderful guy. Also have done a lot of great collaborations with him. And I know he was very specific about the way the barn in the Aceba and Sabina book was um, the details of it. And I was really impressed. I said, oh, I'm very, very welcome to throw this information because I sure don't know a barn from anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, like, it's, it's, it's really very... cool. It's, they, they did certain things, and, yes. and I'm very glad to say that in our barn, those things have been preserved to the best of our ability, so people can see where different activities took place within the barn, and the top floor being for grain storage and for threshing, and the ground floor being for the stabling of animals. So I think we've got that pretty well taken care of within our barn. Oh, that's so exciting. I can't wait to get in there. I'm... Now, will you all have events and have reenactors working in those areas? I'm curious. No, no, no actually, probably not. I, I'm, I'm not, not sure what that's going to look like. like. I, I, I actually personally, and I, I don't, don't know, know if everyone shares this opinion, but this is how I look at it. I look at the, at the barn as the largest artifact we have in the collection. Yes. That it's there to preserve. Um, for, for future generations. generations. Now, now, we, we do, do have, have some things in the barn that unfortunately needed a home and the barn is an empty space, but I've pledged that that will not get out of hand. I do not want too many things. There are things that might have been stored in a barn anyway, so it's okay, but I, I just really love this, the space of the barn as you know, as you might go into a barn, if it's if you're all by yourself, the quiet, um, you know, maybe somebody suggested you could have a tape running downstairs with the sounds of the cows, you know, mooing or something. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that would be really fun. Or have it on sort of like a motion sensor. So yeah. when someone passes yeah. by, they suddenly hear moo. Yeah. <laughs> that so would be know, cool. There's some museums that do that. That have I like a experiential yes. going on. That's, yeah. that's so incredible. I'm so excited for you all. I think the the whole place i've just fallen in love i talk extensively about the schwenkfelder to everyone that will listen um and then you also have sister um museums as well which would be the mennonite heritage oh, yes. museum and also the gosh it happened yeah, our local, yeah our local partners in, in many in many um different activities the mennonite Heritage Center, which is in Harleysville, and then the Goshenhoppen historians that have two, two sites. They have, of course, the wonderful Auntie's House Plantation, and then their um, museum and uh, meeting, meeting place in Green Lane. Right, yeah. So we have often in the past, we've done a cataloging project together for our textile collections, uh, which, which makes it Actually, probably within the Pennsylvania German sphere of things, we may, the three of us may have the most completely cataloged um, textile collections out there. So we were, we were trying to set a bit of a standard, um, uh, not, not sure if that, that was successful, but we wanted to make sure that was out there uh, for people who are interested in Pennsylvania, an overall view of Pennsylvania German textiles. And I think 
um, even though we're all from Montgomery County, we do have that good overview of, 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 a text, text, of different textile, textile collections. And then, and then we, we also, also do our Christmas market um, this December, in December. Um, I'm not sure completely what that will look like this December. I guess it depends on how the world goes. But, but we're, we're hoping, hoping to, to at least have, have our um, installment of the Christmas market. And I know that the Mennonites are hoping to have theirs too. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. And then, of course, in May, we have our big event called the Penn Dry Goods Market, which is a, um, a textile-focused antique show, uh, vintage and antique textiles of all kinds and everything related to textiles. And then also a series of textile history lectures, not just on Pennsylvania German topics. As a matter of fact, sometimes we don't get any Pennsylvania German topics in there, uh, but also on, but on um, topics both national and international. So if you are a textilian, it is the place to be the weekend after, after Mother's, Mother's Day. Day. Um, and, and we are, we are hoping, hoping this year, of course, it was, it was canceled, but we are hoping because we love to have Penn Dry Goods Market. We love our dealers. We love our attendees and our speakers. And we hope we get to do this um, in 2021. Yeah, I'm always so impressed with the um, posts that I see from it. I've never been able to actually get out here because of my young family, but I hope maybe maybe this year or next year I'll be able to actually come out because I think it would be just completely thrilling and I'm sure I'd meet a lot of really interesting folks and you all have so much going on. Um, I love the Penn Dry Goods Market and um, the Christmas Market as well is really a lot of fun. We did that, uh, I think maybe last year? It all is blurring. <laughs> yeah. Um, Candace and I have also done a workshop together out in... Oh, we did. Yeah, where was it? Yeah, in the Poconos. That was a lot of fun. Someone yeah. reached out to us and had us come together. They wanted someone to speak about the work and then also have a workshop for kids. So that was a super fun experience. It really was. Yeah, that was really fun. I actually found that in the archives of the email because I was trying to go back to when we first started talking, but I'm... Um, I couldn't really find exactly, but that was in 2017 or 18, I think. So can you tell everyone a little bit about more of how they can... I know you do a lot of talks in normal life, but during COVID, I'm sure you're not doing that as much, but um, you do do some talking, um, some speaking, and also um, you've been published a couple times as well. And I just handed you back your book. That's incredible. Um, that's encyclopedia. Yeah. And you were... Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I was, I was very, very fortunate, very privileged. Yes. I felt that I, it was my honor to write the textile article for that um, publication, which was much more difficult than I ever anticipated it would be. Um, so yes, and I think that, that is, is a very good uh, resource guide. It's not very good, it's a wonderful resource guide yes. um, that, that was uh, put together a few years ago um, uh, by a lot of very good people. Of, uh, really, really good, good scholars, scholars in the in field. The field. Um, so, so I think, I think, we, I mean, I think, I think overall we covered every topic you could possibly yes. hear about. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure, I love it. But, um, but for, for, for me, I, 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 I do like I do to like give to talks. talks. My, my talks tend to be a little, little quirky. quirky. Um, <laughs> I, I do one on the history of the pretzel where yes. I, I do my own thing. It's a little different. 
Um, but uh, that, that's been one of my favorites to do because most people love pretzels yes. to talk about them for an hour. <laughs> I could definitely talk about pretzels for an hour. Yes, my yeah. mouth is watering right now. We haven't made them recently, but oh, it's just my favorite thing to make now ever. I know, I know. So, 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 I, so, so that, that and I talk about, um, well, I do, I do a lot of quilt talks, and I actually have one coming up with, with a quilt book deal, but via Zoom. Zoom. So oh, gonna, nice. Um, PowerPoint uh, with, with the quilt deal via Zoom, Zoom, which is very different. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and, and I, I do one at the holidays on the history. I call it a history of the Christmas books because it's my history. It's what I've put together and that I enjoy very much also because I think, um, oh, for those of you who don't know what a puts is, it's a Christmas village layout or garden that you might have had under your Christmas tree. In the 20th century, they often had trains with them, but um, the Moravians in Bethlehem and elsewhere always set up putzes every year. It's really a Moravian tradition that trickled down to the rest of us. Um, and I, I really love to talk about that. So yeah, yeah, I'll talk about almost anything. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, that's where we connect so well, I think, because it's nice. And also, you know, early on, Candace um, shared with me, you know, it's not, it's not so easy being a lady in this crowd sometimes. Uh, and I've always, I've always held that really close because I was really good at advice, Candace. And I sure had to put on my big girl boots. But um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a niche where there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, masculine energy. So it's, it's nice to have another female presence and such a strong person and such an intelligent person, and incredibly creative and also charitable and generous and I just Aww. don't have I, I don't have enough time to gush about how much you've meant to me um in my studies but also in my experience of trying to find my roots and really coming into this area with no anchors at all and not knowing certain families or certain artists that were really invaluable for me to learn about and you really helped um sort of direct me um, on my path. So I really appreciate that Candice you've been a very important person to me and a very influential and the most generous person alive, I think, possibly. Uh, yeah, and there's I just... going to be some people who argue with you, probably my sisters. But, <laughs> but um, I, I, um, I think, yeah, I, uh, well, you know, the, the cultural preservation was dominated really by men forever. You know, yeah. we even see it with the Grossa Lodge. I mean, yes. who doesn't love the Grossa Lodge? But Really, really, it is, is a male, male institution. institution. Yes. And, and the, the preservation of the culture, culture that generally took place through um, people, individuals who were often pastors. The pastors, uh, the male pastors did a lot to preserve the culture um, from the 19th century onward, preserving the dialect. You know, so, so women sort of had, um, I wouldn't say a backseat, but they... They certainly weren't up there in the front seat either. They might have been outside of the car. I don't know. Sad <laughs> <laughs> to say, because there are a lot of there are women who did contribute a lot. Yes. But maybe more quietly. Yes. They weren't the people to be published. They weren't the people that had columns in the newspaper. Right. Or, or I know in um, from Robestonia, there was the Wunderfits who had um, a radio show in Reading. 
uh, Gilbert Snyder, I believe that was. So the, the, these were some pretty strong male characters. And even though without them, I, probably none of this would have been preserved. You know, on the other hand, a lot of the female domain kind of got a little lost for a long time. I, yes, right. Um, there, there wasn't, wasn't you, you didn't, didn't see the, the preservation of textiles. Right. Uh, as, as much. much. There, there were, were people working, working on it, but, but I, think I think it was more like, oh, look, look this, this is beautiful. I want to have it in my collection, rather than really thinking about what the background of the pieces were or the impetus behind making them or the traditions that were in the um, culture that, that led to making these things. So, right. So, yeah, it's interesting because I think the feminine perspective is invaluable and also um, you can see, you know, if you're looking at something that was generally something done by a woman and you've actually experienced that, for instance, needlework, I mean, you're going to see it completely differently when you come across a piece or it's going to just hold a different kind of value. For example, when I first saw some of these Fractor paintings that you showed me, you know, as a painter, I had a whole nother layer of um, appreciation for the details and the and 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 how small and 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 micro they worked. So I think it's within the experience as well, um, the feminine perspective. But I really appreciate that. And it's hard; it's tough because I found a couple from mid-century that that I've like really enjoyed and gravitated towards. But it's not really spoken about much, um, which. Um, also is neat at the Grunsel Lodge that they do for the children. They also have the first female Grunsel Lodge um, yeah. participant, Lucy, who or organizer. I, I apologize. Um, and I'm not sure if they're the only one, but that was pretty neat to see oh. her. And she's she's something else. She's a real firecracker, that Lucy. Uh, this is Lucy Kern. <laughs> yes, a wonderful member of our community. Not a Schweinfelder descendant, but but still a very wonderful contributor to what we have done here at the Heritage Center for many, many, many years. She was, a, and great for the preservation of Pennsylvania German within the community, our upper Perkioma and this area in general community. And I think it is the only female lodge. I yeah, I think that's what she said. I think you're right. Yeah. Because, because they, they, they were tired of it. They wanted to have fun too, you know, so. <laughs> You know, it was a big silly night yeah. out. And sure, of course. Of him coming home, home, you know. You know and, and my um, my family members from elsewhere, for instance, my aunt who lived in Connecticut would always be highly amused by when he would pretend to do the Grunsau pledge, which involved putting his paws up and saying, Ich bin ein Bruder Grunsau. And my aunt just thought this was hysterical. Oh my gosh, it's definitely a unique experience. <laughs> I, I really encourage everyone to experience this at some point. Um, it's really fascinating. All right, so Candace, so you've been doing this work for, for a number of years now. What is something that is exciting to you that you see happening right now that sort of has has breathed new life into the, the folk life traditions or the culture? Um, would you say maybe seeing more females participating in the active experience or the discussion? I know there's a couple people in that book that you spoke about um, that were included as well, some females. Um, I, I, hmm, that's, that's an interesting, interesting question. question. Um, I think that actually, I and I don't know if people would think I be horrified if I said this, but I think the internet has actually helped hugely 
to be able to do research at a distance. I'm sure yes. other people feel this way. You probably feel this Oh, for sure, for sure. The things that we're now able to do and the pieces we can put together. I love a historical puzzle to death. And I love to put together threads, um, tie together threads of stories to come up with a, a whole, you know, to the what, approximates to what could really happen. Somebody I um, respect very much always says, well, I don't know, because I wasn't there, <laughs> you know, about something that happened 250 years ago. But, um, you, you know, know, we, we have, have to try to piece it together, together as best we can. can. And, yes. Um, I, I think, think being able to do, do the research in person is great, but when you can't do it, um, I think that has really made a, a difference in some of our lives of, of that, that being, being able, able and being connected, connected with other professionals, professionals that way, way I, I think, think has really helped, helped too. Um, yeah, that's incredible. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and it, it may, may not, not be what everyone wants to hear, hear but, but I, I know, know that most of us use those resources in one way or another. That's very true. And it's funny that you mentioned that because how long have I been coming here? And I just on Ancestry.com discovered one of my ancestors way, way back uh, was a Schwankfader descendant. And I was literally jumping out of my skin at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning when I was down this rabbit hole. I couldn't believe it. And I, and I can't think of her name right now. I think it was Maria Krause. That, that could be. Yeah. yeah. There were a lot of those. Yeah, it was really exciting. I was very excited. So, I mean. Yeah. And, and, and if, if you're, you're from, from this area. area yes. If you're from, from the Gosh and Hoppin or, or even down as far as, as Chestnut Hill, um, you know, all the way to Chestnut Hill, there is a chance, especially if you're from these areas, Central Montgomery County and Upper Perkiomen Valley, Gosh and Hoppin area, there is a good chance there is somebody lurking in your family tree who, who had Schwankfelder roots. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, they did, did. Um, intermarry for a long time until the 19th century, but then they found there weren't enough young people, so they better search elsewhere. So you'll see them marrying outside of the Schwankfelder group, and then other names that now have become very common with to the Schwankfelders, like our local Gerhards, they are often Schwankfelder descendants, um, and other names like that that you see intertwined. Um, and then a lot of people, of course, I I like to use the term that I made up myself, Goshenhop and Gateway, to, to show the people, people who came here and settled here initially, maybe not even for a very long, long time, time, but then, then went west. west either to the Topahawken, where my ancestors were from, or further than that, just kept going or went south or went north. But they first came here. This was a, an important early you know, step in settlement for the Pennsylvania Germans. Um, I don't, I don't know, know if that, that was relevant to anything. No, that was perfect. That was perfect. I'm, yeah, I'm sort of like, um, but in, um, so, Candice, to wrap this up, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today and for, for sharing so much of your wonderful knowledge and also the excitement that, that you carry along with uh, discussing these, these uh, topics. But I wanted to just ask you at the end, I thought this was a fun way to end our, our podcast today, was when you think of Pennsylvania Dutch, what comes to mind? As in your five senses, what are you seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, and tasting? Oh my goodness. <laughs> potato filling. <laughs> Can we cover a lot of bases with potato filling? 
<laughs> Those of us from Berks County, you know, we love our potato filling and, um, and yeah, yeah that's, that's something, something that, that matters, matters a lot to me. To me. And I, you know, that, that's been one of the things that's kept Pennsylvania Germans together as a group is the food and in part the dialect, but I think the food, um, and um, that uh, a very learned friend of mine once said, said to me, me that, that like with the, the Irish, Irish that, that one of the things that kept them together was music and food. And, and you see that um, definitely, probably not music for the Pennsylvania Germans, which is sad, unless you like a hymn, but um, uh, definitely our food traditions and, um, uh, but uh, what, what do, do I, I see? The beautiful landscapes that make up this area where I live now, but the area I grew up in, um, the rolling landscapes and hills and the farms that dot the landscapes. That sounds very romantic, but it, it's it's something to me that says home and, and uh, uh, what, what separates, separates us from, from everyone else. True. Um, the Oli Hills are my favorite place in the world. So yeah, my, one of my favorite drives, just as an end note, is um, 419 between Wummelsdorf and Schaeferstown. So if you ever want a spectacular drive, uh, that is definitely one of my favorites. Just that short bit, and then you can go on to Lidditz for some fun, but um, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So we got, we got the seeing, we got the tasting. What about hearing? What makes you think of Pennsylvania Dutch if you hear oh, something? Oh. Not necessarily the dialect, because I did not grow up with that, as I said earlier, but a Pennsylvania Dutch accent is a thing yes. of beauty. Yes. And there's some people who, you know, my father had a pretty good accent, although my son said to me the other day, he didn't have an accent. I said, oh, yes, he did. He just didn't hear it. He was so used to it. Yeah, yeah. But to me, it's a really good yeah that's like a quintessential thing that i think of it, i mean that was definitely my entryway and definitely the food for sure i mean i found the art way later so Again, thank you so much, Candace. This has been so much fun. Thank you very much. And how can people find you on the web, the Schwenkfelder website? Oh, yeah, we're www.schwenkfelder.com or .org, either one. Um, I'm also uh, uh, just go to Facebook and search for the Schwenkfelder, and we'll pop up. And um, yeah, I think that's that's the best way online since I think the internet is so important. So yeah, yeah I 100% agree. I wouldn't have found any of you without it. So thanks so much again, Candice, for taking the time and Mark's good. Oh, to you too. <laughs> <laughs>